Hi, I'm Alex Bernstein. And I'm Ted Rickley. And you're listening to Curtains on Fire, the theatrical podcast of the Rising Curtain Theater Company in New Jersey. Wow, I thought we went out of business or something. You mean because it's been almost a year since our last podcast? That's exactly what I mean, Alex. And have we gotten a lot of complaints because of our tardiness, Ted? Let's see. Uh, looks like 700 and... Um, uh, no, not a one. Well, that's a relief. So anyway, here we are with podcast number six. And boy, do we have a great series of new short plays for you. There are three new pieces from our writers, including The First Rule by Amy Rausch, Is This 911 by Lynn Langoni, and Being Understood by Ted Wrigley. That's you. Why, yes, it is, Alex. And I believe you are an actor in Lynn Langoni's piece. I am. Well, I can't wait to hear these pieces. Why don't we get started? Our first play begins at a small town police station. This is Is This 911 by Lynn Langoni. Southern, I don't know what does. I think they should give her a celebrity name like Sparkle. Little Sparkle Markle. <laughs> don't you have something better to do than read that crap all morning? Oh, go bite yourself and your 16th jelly donut. You are the reason folks make fun of the police. Just for the record, I bet big old city cops don't have time to eat donuts all day. Just mind your own business, Franny. I know you're waiting for me to offer you a donut, but now I am not. Have fun with your fruity tootie. Oh, you poop. Dang. Oh, well, pissing you off will just be better on my thighs. So, Pop, are you ready for your big day? <laughs> I doubt if you'll need too much of what's in that training manual. We don't get a whole lot of excitement here, especially on a Tuesday. Everybody seems to behave themselves on a Tuesday. I just want to be prepared. I don't plan to stay in this podunk town for long. Oh, hoping to be a big city cop, are you? Yes, ma'am. One day. And then a detective. Can't make detective working in this one-horse town. Good for you, Pop. I like a young man with goals. Unlike this lazy, donut-eating turd. <laughs> <laughs> You've reached 911. What is your emergency? Is this 911? Yes, it is, ma'am. What is your emergency? Oh, Lord, help me. I'm stuck in my jiggins. I'm sorry. Could you repeat that, please? I'm stuck in my jiggins. I'm not sure what you're saying, ma'am. Can you spell that, please? No, I can't spell it. My jiggins. My jiggins. They're not jeans. They're not leggings. They're jiggins. Oh, jiggins. Yes, jiggins. My granddaughter told me not to get them. Oh, she did. She says, Grandma, you don't need no jiggins. They're for young folk. But when have I ever listened to anyone? So I ordered them. And this morning, I was going to wear them to the pancake breakfast at the VFW Hall. I'm supposed to be helping serve pancakes right now. But I pulled on these jiggins, and believe you me, it was a feat to get them on. And now, I can't get them off. They're so tight, I feel like I'm being strangled by a python. A big fucking python. Okay, Miss Gertie. It's Franny here, and let's see what we can do for you. Is anyone at home with you? No. Well, do you think I'd be calling 911 if anyone was home with me? 
And why am I talking to you? I didn't call the local police. Well, that is how 911 works. You are directed to your local police department. So how can we help you today? Get me out of the fucking jeggings. <laughs> I tried calling Shelby and she's done gone to work, so didn't pick up. Oh, I'm going to pass out any minute. Okay, okay. Just stay calm, Miss Gertie. An officer is on his way to help you right now. Will you be able to open your front door? No, I can't move. I can't bend to get down the stairs. I'm in my bedroom upstairs. The spare keys, it's under the front door mat. Please hurry. I gotta pee. Oh, I gotta pee right now. <laughs> I'm gonna put you on hold, Miss Gertie. Just one minute so I can give Officer Pop your information, and I'll be right back to talk to you till he gets there, okay? Oh, yes, Franny. Just hurry, please. My legs are swelling up, and I feel I might just burst right out of them. Oh. <laughs> well, Officer Pop, your first emergency. <laughs> you are welcome. <laughs> but, I, I, but there's nothing in this training manual that talks about old ladies and jeggings? I'm prepared for kidnappings and burglars and speeding cars. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> oh, this is going to be a good one. We'll go down in the records. Come on, Pop. I'll be videotaping this one for sure. But what do we do? Should we call paramedics? Nah, you can handle this, son. What? <laughs> no. No, really? I can't believe I have to do this. <laughs> Miss Gertie? Okay. The officers are on their way. You're just a couple of blocks away, so they'll be there in a minute. Now, I want you to just stay calm. Take a deep breath and try not to pee in your pants, please. Jiggins. They're not pants. They're fucking jiggins. Jiggins, of course. Where did you order them from? Sears? No, not Sears. Some youngins kind of store. I can't remember the name. Oh, oh, shit. Uh, uh. Miss Gertie? Miss Gertie, are you still with me, Miss Gertie? Jesus, H. Christ. Just stay calm. Try to take a deep breath. Officers Tate and Pop will be there any second now. Okay. Okay. Oh, my goodness. I'd be embarrassed if it didn't hurt so fucking much. Miss Gertie, are you upstairs? It's Officers Tate and Pop here. Do we have permission to enter your bedroom? Get on up here before I pass out and piss all over myself. Have they arrived, Miss Gertie? Yep, they're coming up the stairs now. Thanks for babysitting me, Franny. My pleasure, Miss Gertie. I'll check in with you later. Now try not to pee on Officer Pop. This is his first day on the job. Oh, Lord. Well, I ain't making no promises. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All this on a Tuesday. Miss Gertie, we're about to enter your bedroom. Miss Gertie, looks like you got yourself into a little pickle here. Fuck you, Tate, little smartass. Now, if I hear about my situation being talked about around town, I'm personally going to kick your ass. Now, Miss Gertie, we are professionals here and would never start any gossip. That would violate our code of ethics. 
as a law enforcement officer, my fundamental duty is to serve mankind, to safeguard lives and property, to protect the innocent against deception, the weak against oppression or intimidation, and the peaceful against violence or disorder, and to respect the constitutional rights of all men to liberty, equality, and justice. Well, thank you for that little recitation, Officer Pop. Now, if you can just get me out of these chickens before I fucking explode or cause some violent disorder. Yes, ma'am. Now, please remain calm as we uh, extricate you from the confines of these chickens. Excuse me? We're going to cut them off of you. All right. I guess there's no other way. I was hoping to keep the Jeggins and try them again after I lost a few pounds, but please don't tell Shelby about this. I'll never hear the end of it. Okay, Miss Gertie, I'm going to start with your left leg and cut up the side of the leg. Sorry about all the leg hair. Well, if I'd known I was going to be felt up by a young man today, I would have shaved them for you. Oh, holy mother of Jesus. I feel the blood flowing back to my legs. Oh, oh, yes. Oh, 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 oh my God. Oh, oh. Hurry up. Cut the other side. I gotta go. Yes. Oh, yes. That's it. Holy shit. I feel the cellulite just filling right back up. Oh, oh. Oh, 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 out of my way, boys. Oh, I gotta go. I gotta go. Shit. Good job, Pop. Welcome to the team. If you can handle Miss Gertie, you can handle anything the big city throws at you. Our next play takes place in the penthouse suite office of an important businessman. This is The First Rule by Amy Rausch. Lydia? Sir? A strong work ethic is the last bastion of American greatness. Cheryl? The Jefferson account. And the Chachawala contract. And Ivanovna Steele. Thank you, sir. Cheryl, coffee. Sir? Lydia, a strong work ethic and unquestionable loyalty. Two things money can't buy. Speaking of money... That was taken care of an hour ago. For the job, yes. Then there's the surprise. Not a fan, and it costs extra. I told you everything I knew. If that's true, you didn't know enough. I guess it's a good thing you're lucky then. (laughs) True. 
But luck is a tricky bastard. I don't spend time with him if I can help it. So I get to pay for your date. You did set us up. I see. How much? Twenty. That seems excessive. I guess that depends on your perspective. But from where you sit, I'd call it a steal. I'm willing to go to five. Twenty. Non-negotiable. You're right. In fact, I'll go to twenty-five. Twenty-five. Yeah, here's a quarter. Go fuck yourself. I'm done here. Yes, you are. Ah, that was stupid. I'm genuinely sorry. You don't have a lot of time. Not sure why you're spending it insulting people. No insult. I'm genuinely sorry. I have an appointment in an hour. If I'm more than five minutes late, the Times will have a new front page story tomorrow. The story will never run. There are several stories they've never run. Oh, your editor friend wouldn't run a story about the tragic murder of the wife and only son of one of the most powerful businessmen in the city, who is also a close friend of his. If I don't make it to that appointment, Shelley and Kyle don't make it to Danella's. You think I don't know the first rule of assassination? How did you know about Donello's? I only just decided. <laughs> you always take them to Donello's when you've had a good day. I see. Cheryl, could you come in for a moment? There's been a change of plan. I'm sorry, sir. I haven't been authorized to make changes to the plan. Sir, I just want to thank you for this very generous gift. What? I'm so, so grateful for the trust you've shown in me all these years. And I just want you to know, as you transition to your next assignment, I'll take good care of this company you built. <laughs> of course, that's why I had to also set up dear Shelly and Kyle. They would have protested. No one else knows just exactly how this business runs as well as I do. But I can see how it might be hard for your family to accept my new role. So really, it's best for everyone to just avoid that little difficulty. <coughs> Lydia, I'm so sorry you were caught up in this. I'm sure you're a very nice person. Usually, anyway. <coughs> Sir, I would probably advise you to be more careful about what you drink in the future. Not that it's likely to come up again. But I took the antidote. Yes, for what was in the coffee, but not for the scotch. It's done. The paperwork will be filed next week. We have to give everybody time to grieve. <laughs> No, I don't think I'll join you for coffee. <laughs>
Our final play today takes place on a windy night in November outside a suburban home. This is Being Understood by Ted Wrigley. And just to note that this play contains some strong language. You need to go right back in, right now, and apologize to your sister. I'm not doing it. Yes, you are. I've already told you. I refuse. I meant what I said. She is a cunt. First of all, that's a horrible word to call your own sister. We don't use that language in the house. Secondly, you know your sister is sensitive to being called any derogatory name, and she is really upset. I don't care. Yes, you do. No, I don't. I hate Sophie. And you have to be the bigger person here. You know how difficult things can be for her. You need to understand. I've been understanding all my life. I'm tired of it. When do I get understood? Sweetie, it's different. And I'm supposed to understand when she goes through my private things? My phone? My email? That's bullshit. She needs to respect my privacy. I'm so over her constantly in my stuff. And she shouldn't do that. She doesn't understand things the way you and I do. Understand. 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 I'm so fucking tired of that word. Watch your language. Why am I always the bad one? Why doesn't she get to apologize to me for going through my personal things? So I call her a cunt for doing that. I am mad. I have the right to be mad when someone does that to me. Of course you do, sweetie. But this is Sophie. It's different. You know, I'm glad she feels bad. Maybe next time she won't do it. Maybe. But when your sister gets upset, we have to worry about her hurting herself. Your dad is in there now making sure that doesn't happen. I mean, what were you thinking? You knew she would react like this. You can be so thoughtless at times. You know what, Mom? I don't care. I don't care about Sophie. I don't care about you. I don't care about Dad. You can all just go to hell. Ow! Let me go! What is wrong with you? All I'm asking for is for you to be a little bit compassionate towards your sister. You have no idea what she goes through. I see her every day, Mom. And that's why I'm pretty damn tolerant of her most of the time. I've done it all of my life. But guess what? I'd like a little compassion too sometimes. I'd like my feelings to be understood, you know? Oh yeah, you have it rough. Yeah, I do. Maybe if you could bother listening to my side of things once in a while, you might see that. Right now, I'm worried about your sister. And you apologizing might be the only thing to calm her down right now. She looks up to you. I'm angry. She went through my stuff. She constantly does this. I am done with it. Right now, I need you to be a bigger person. I can't. <gasps> you will turn right around and go back in the house and tell your sister that you are sorry for calling her a cunt. Is that understood? And you are going to do it now. It's so nice to have such a great role model for compassion, such as yourself. <sighs> cunt. Do it. Hit me again. Get out. Get out of here. I'm going. And don't come back. I mean it. So do I.
I'm coming, Sophie. Mommy's coming. That was Being Understood by Ted Wrigley. And now, as always, we're excited to have our three authors with us, Amy, Lynn, and Ted, to discuss what inspired them to write these pieces. So, Ted, thank you so much for giving us Being Misunderstood. I think it's just a fantastic play. And I think it's certainly one of the most emotional plays that we've had on here. Uh, and so just tell us what the origins of this one are. Well, my last piece was a comedy, and I'm very glad you picked something that was a little bit more dramatic. This one came from a student that I had been working with in an acting class that was on the spectrum. And she had had some issues at home, and this isn't exactly how it played out, but um, it did involve the C word, which was the, the seed for this story. And the trauma that she goes through when her personal space is violated. Ted, you are actually an acting teacher at New Jersey School of Dramatic Arts. When you write pieces like this, are you writing with particular actors in mind? Not usually, but I do, after writing them, get a sense of what voice might be right for this particular part, because I do have quite a few people that I've worked with over the years. So I have a database of quite a few people that I feel could be appropriate for certain roles. So in this piece, you've got a really tough conversation between uh, Miriam and her daughter, Marky. You know, and really there's a third character who we never see, but she's certainly an important part of the scene. That's Sophie, who's inside. What were your thoughts about that character who's not in the scene? It is a very strong presence in the story. And what I wanted to present here was the attention that Sophie gets and absolutely needs, and probably the love that she gets from her parents and her sister. But there's a lot that goes on in being a sibling of someone with special needs. But there's a lot of underlying things that I had in mind that Marky's been going through that she hasn't been able to verbalize to her parents due to Sophie going through some growing changes. And that can be a bit overwhelming for the sibling, for Marky, to not have her voice heard. And it just has bubbled over to a point where it just pushed her away. I mean, I remember when I first heard the piece that I assumed that mom and Marky would work it out and everybody would come in and be happy, but that's not how it ends. At least for the moment, they go in an extremely different direction, which I thought was a real brave thing to do. In your brain, do you know what happens next? I saw this as a very beginning of the story of Marky and what she would go through in order to get back home. This was the start of a much greater, scary adventure for her being out on her own for a period of time. Did you ever run away from home? Yes, <laughs> I did. That was a fun story. With Robert Flad, when I lived in Union, we, we walked all the way down Route 22 and got picked up by a stranger and said we wanted to go into New York City. And thank God that stranger was actually an off-duty police officer that took us to a police station. <laughs> and then we got into a lot of trouble. So you write of what you know. <laughs> well, it wasn't really that story, but I guess there's a little bit in there. Yeah, awesome. Thank you very much for uh, picking this piece, Alex. Thank you. Amy, it is so great to finally record your piece, The First Rule. I just love the piece. So what inspired this piece? 
Well, honestly, it started off as a project between three actors in New York, myself and two of my friends up there. We wanted to make a project to sort of showcase our own talents. And, you know, they say, make your own work if you want people to notice you. So I sat and wrote this with some input from them and got that together. And then, and then life happened and we never actually got the project together. So I just kept working on it and sort of refining it. And this is what it came out to. Well, the film world's loss for now is our game. You are obviously a big fan of noir, is that correct? I am, yes. I have always been a big fan of stylized storytelling, uh, Guillermo del Toro, um, the noir stuff that you see, Hitchcock, just some wonderful things that really play with our sensibilities. Visually, I did definitely see this as a big stylized production. Now that it's in an audio form, I like the fact that it has sort of that vibrancy of a 1940s radio play. When you're hearing it as audio and trying to think of it as how does it come across as an audio only piece, I found that I wasn't thinking in terms of shot framing and beats of uh, visual beats and what that was, trying to find those moments in the script where, oh, that's not clear because it's audio only. I can't put a camera on a glass and show what we're talking about. We have to be more deliberate about it. But I found that both a fun challenge and just a fun visualization to listen to the actors go through the script and go, oh, oh, that's a beautiful moment. Oh, that's a, that's a thing I hadn't even thought of. And from what I remember correctly, you actually originally wrote yourself as the part of the secretary that comes in. Yes, yes. It's always very good to know where you fit in in the industry when you're an actor. But I've always just thought that it's interesting to have characters that are all strong in their own way, even the ones that you may not necessarily think at the time. But I wanted everybody in the script to have moments where they really could shine. Was there anything that you saw in the future as moving forward with this particular story, or is this a little one-off? I think that this could tie in. I really have this idea behind the secretary and whoever it is she's talking to on the phone at the end. Amy, thank you so much for doing this. This was really terrific. I'm so glad we get to include it in the podcast. It's been a real pleasure. And again, good to see you both too. Thank you. Hi, Lynn. Hello there. So what's so exciting about this piece is this 911 is I believe this is the first grandma piece that we've recorded for the podcast. For those people that don't know, Lynn has been working on a magnum opus of stories about this grandma character for well over a year now. And we've been going back and forth on half a dozen to bring to the podcast. So tell us about the grandma character. When I started writing with the group, I was a new writer. I'd written one other play before. So I was writing from experience. And I realized that a lot of my pieces are coming through the grandma's voice. And some of them are true, completely true. And some of them are just because it's a suggestion and it just sounds better coming from her voice. And is jeggings something that happened to you personally? <laughs> it's actually more of a personal story and then I just thought oh this is funny and it would be really funny coming out of my mom's voice so I <laughs> I had actually bought a pair of jeggings and my daughter she's like mom no you can't wear jeggings and putting them on they're they're so freaking tight and they were hard to get off and I just thought imagine if I couldn't get them off now what do you do with that so <laughs> 
And once you start reading a bunch of these pieces, it's not just her story. It's a story of really a family growing up in Kentucky. What's it like writing about somebody who was so important and close to you? Oh my gosh, just saying that made me tear up. So for me, even though some of the pieces, it may seem, you know, we're making fun of her. I don't ever want it to come across that way because she loved the fact that she was a big personality. She loved who she was. And for me, it's just kind of honoring my mom, you know, for some of the pieces, because they're very serious and it definitely addresses her bipolar and how ugly that disease can be. So it's hard, but I'm really hoping that when I put the pieces together, people can see just, you know, that it's beautiful, it's messy. That's what it is. I know I get, I'm getting all like, and, and you do double duty because you actually play grandma in the piece too. How do you like playing her? I love playing her. Although I do find it hard to listen to my own voice. And how many pieces have you written about this now? I think there's about 15 to 20 pieces. And right now I'm kind of trying to figure out the arc of it. And I'm really hoping in January I can do a first reading. And what would the name of the big piece be? Well, I have this title that I came up with probably 15 years ago, and it's called Under the Velvet Elvis, the grandma stories. And I came up with the title Under the Velvet Elvis because I actually grew up with a Velvet Elvis in my living room in Kentucky. And I so, 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 so wish I had the original one. <laughs> Which Elvis was it? It was, it was definitely the young Elvis in the white jumpsuit. Oh, yeah. And that's it for podcast number six. Thank you all so much for joining us today. We just want to mention a few people. Is This 911 featured Lynn Langoni, Jay Strong, Kathy Taylor, and Alex Bernstein. The First Rule featured Katie Wanshura, Fatou Sheriff, and Pete Papa George. And Being Understood featured Rosie Lum and Crystal Roman. All of our plays today were directed by Ted Wrigley. And mixed by Alex Bernstein and David Doster. Our graphics were created by Pina Carey, and our theme music was created by David Doster. The Curtains on Fire podcast is produced by Ted Wrigley and Alex Bernstein. And thank you so much for listening in. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can reach out to us at info at risingcurtaintheatercompany.com. And please join us next time for more new works by up-and-coming playwrights. And believe it or not, Podcast 7 is already in production. Really? That's so exciting. So you'll probably have to wait less than a year for this one. Probably. Maybe. We'll see. I'm crossing my fingers. Start holding your breath now. But until then... Don't stand so close to the curtains. Don't stand so... Don't stand so close to the uh, curtains. Now, now we have to pay for the rights to the police song. Awesome.